In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Very quickly, I just wanted to share a brief message um, regarding persecution. As we see from the very first family, um, the life that they had from the very beginning was characterized by persecution and by suffering. From after the, the child was born and Herod came to find the child, um, and it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him at his birth. And actually he sought, as his, holi as his holiness mentioned in his message, to seek to kill actually all young boys who were two years old and younger, the children of Bethlehem, because he wanted to destroy him. And that also from a young age, the, f the holy family was called out of uh, Israel and to go to Egypt running as refugees, um, unable to find a place of safety. Um, and we can see in the stories of all of the martyrs and the saints of the church and the early church, how much the church has been characterized by persecution and suffering. Maybe the form of persecution changes from era to era and from place to place. And while there's definitely places still in the world where people suffer the physical persecution, the fear of death and being killed and harmed for the sake of the faith, but maybe here um, where we are, uh, in the West, the form of persecution is different. A form of persecution taking more um, the form of a social persecution or a persecution that is more invisible and hidden that seeks to transform the hearts and the minds of the faithful and to turn them against um, the church or against the Lord, against the truth, and to begin to compromise with the faith, whether to compromise in, in, our, in our dogma and our beliefs or to, to compromise with sin that we participate in. So I want to speak a little bit about persecution and how is it we should react when we see the persecution that is happening um, in the church. The first is that we should not be surprised. One of the things that sometimes catches people um, unprepared in general is when we face trials and then we find it difficult to reconcile the idea of there being a good God who loves us but at the same time allows us to experience whatever various trials that we have in our life. And sometimes these trials are very acute in the form of a situation that arises for a brief time and then it has a resolution. But other times the trials that we face is something that can even be a lifelong trial, something that brings us sadness or suffering, something that we wish were different um, over a very long period of time. And maybe even by the time of the end of our life, it is something that is still not resolved. It's a cross, something that we bear throughout our life. Um, so the Lord actually prepared us and the scripture prepared us for whatever trials that we face, whether it is a trial through our circumstance or whether it's a trial because of the actions of other people or through society in general and the type of pressure that we might feel on us. Um, St. Peter said, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Maybe we consider it to be strange because it is something that we do not want and something maybe foreign to what our life used to be. And maybe we can all um, identify with the times when um, some we receive some kind of bad news and we remember the previous day before we received this news and long for how things used to be. But that day we were taking things for granted and, and, and maybe not realizing how good things were until we received the news that we did. But we should not be surprised with whatever trials that we may face, whether they are personal trials or trials that the church as a whole experiences. One of the trials that I hear about many times, especially from parents, is the anxiety that they have over raising their children in our society and the fear of them going astray, the fear of them leaving the church, um, the fear of what might happen to them in the future. And certainly these are all very valid concerns that we have. But I want to... Um, like I, I want to emphasize and to reassure all of us 
that this is not the first and only time ever in the history of the church that we have faced this type of challenge, that we have faced um, bad influences on ourselves and on our children. Certainly the ways and the means of the influence might change, um, but the, the same solution, and that is the number one, the protection of God of the church and his people, and two, the vigilance of the people themselves and of the parents for taking care of the children. So we should not be surprised when we find that there is all kinds of trials that we, that we might face or that we find all kinds of um, immoral and sinful things um, on the internet or in our society or that people are speaking in a certain way. This is actually something that we have been warned about from the very beginning and actually has always been to various degrees throughout history. So we should not be surprised. The second thing is we should not be terrified. We shouldn't be afraid of whenever we feel like um, what weapons of defense do we have against the world, against those who seek to attack us? Certainly at the time of Christ when he was born as a young child and as a simple family um, that was poor, that had no resources, there was no way they could have protected themselves from um, the attack of Herod, from the order that he gave to kill all of the young children. And anyone who was living at that time would have been extremely frightened of this order and what is it that had been done. But the Lord protected, of course, um, the family and protected the, the Christ child and they escaped. Um, but we should not be afraid when we face various trials and various persecutions. Um, in Luke chapter 10, the Lord said, My friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. This icon here is an icon of St. Ignatius of Antioch, and he was very well known for the time before his martyrdom. He was very, very peaceful and calm, and he wrote letters to his churches and to his people to um, reassure them. And instead of being afraid of what it is that was about to happen to him um, in his martyrdom, who was devoured by lions, um, he was very calm. And so again, we ask ourselves, like, who is it that we worship and what is it that we are living for? Maybe if we are living for this world, we find that being taken from it is frightening. But if we live for um, the world to come, if we live for eternal life, we will find comfort in God that even when we leave this place, we will go to another place that is far better where there is no one that can harm us in any way. Now, the second thing to always keep in mind at persecution is unless we, with our own will, give up our faith, there is no way that anyone can actually harm us. Because again, as the Lord said, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and that there is nothing else that they can do. All they can do is kill the body. Maybe we consider this to be the worst thing possible um, because we are, we are very minded of, of course, the, the earthly things. But the Lord is trying to remember, to remind us and to lift our minds up from this place and to remind us that our eternal home is in heaven and that those people who can do more, no more than kill the body, actually they are powerless against us and against the church as long as we remain faithful. The third thing we should keep in mind regarding persecutions is we should not be distracted. This one is very important for us because it is one of the major ways that the, that the enemy causes us to go astray from God is because we become distracted by the things that are in the world or the pleasures of this world or our desires or our goals that are contrary to the Lord and we find ourselves um, unprepared for the attacks that are coming against us. In Ephesians chapter 6, St. Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. If we go about our lives locking our doors, installing alarm systems in our homes, getting security and bodyguards and all the other means of physical security that we can, 
and maybe protecting ourselves from our, our fellow man who is able to, to harm us. But what do we do to protect ourselves from the enemy who is invisible, who is far more wicked and far more powerful than any human being who can come and harm us in various ways? This is why in Ephesians chapter 6, St. Paul goes on to talk about the armor of God and how we put on the spiritual armor to protect us from these invisible forces and powers um, of evil. So we should not be distracted or thinking that because we do not see the enemy clearly in front of us that he does not exist or that we let down our guard and giving a place for him to come and to devour us. We should always be vigilant and faithful, always paying attention to our spiritual life and not, and not allowing ourselves to lapse, being very diligent in our confession, being very diligent in, our, in partaking of the sacraments and reading the Bible, all these things that are necessary for us. Otherwise, it is very easy for us to just kind of go with the flow of the world, forget about God completely, and be focused only on the physical things, whether it's the physical rewards or the physical threats, but whatever they might be, it is only the physical and forgetting completely um, the spiritual. The fourth, um, the fourth way that we should react whenever we are faced with persecutions is we should not doubt. We should not doubt that the Lord continues to be with us even in the midst of threat. Even when there is something that is threatening us, something that could be harmful to us, we should not imagine that in that time the Lord has left us, has abandoned us, has left us to ourselves to fight on our own. In John 15, verse 19, the Lord says, If you belong to the world, it would love you as, it is, as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. So our enemies that are in the world and the spirit of the world and the spirit of Antichrist that is in the world is warring against us, but the Lord is with us. And as also the scripture said, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If truly we believe that we are in his presence and that we are seeking his help and, and, and him to be our guardian and our protector, then there is no one that can fight us and there is no one that can harm us. And so we should not doubt his presence. We should not doubt. As King David spoke about walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that he will fear no evil, he should not doubt because he knows that his shepherd is with him, his caretaker is with him. We also believe that the church is in the guardianship of God and that whatever the struggles or the obstacles or the challenges might be in the world, that the Lord is with the church and that we are trusting in him to protect us from every enemy. Number five, we should not be defeated. But when I say we should not be defeated, it means that we should not turn to the ways of the world in order to defeat the world. An example of this is someone, for instance, who has been harmed by someone, and so they seek revenge. Uh, they seek to harm that person who harmed them in the same way that they themselves were harmed. But St. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is maybe contrary to our way of thinking. We always think, well, the best way to overcome evil is to do evil, is to do more evil to them than they did to me, to get back with them the way that they did to me, and that is the best way for me to bring justice to myself. But actually, the Lord says, do not overcome evil, uh, do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I mean, the best way for us to overcome evil is not to become evil or wicked ourselves because that is actually the goal of the enemy. And when the enemy entices another person in order to um, harm us in some way or to slander us in some way, what is it that is their goal? Their goal is for us to turn from the ways of God and to become evil ourselves and seek revenge against those people for what they did to us. That is actually the goal of the enemy. The enemy's goal is not necessarily to harm me in some physical way. His, his goal is to harm me in a spiritual way, to harm me in a way that actually brings me away from God by, by damaging my spirit. 
And the way that my spirit is damaged is that I turn to sin, is that I turn to the ways of the world instead of the ways of God. And so when I say we should not be defeated, it means that we should remain vigilant and, and, and stick to our principles, to our morals, to our spiritual guidelines, to the things that we know the Lord has commanded, to all of his commandments in our life, and not feel that we should deviate from them in order to bring justice to ourselves or in order to overcome the persecution that we are facing in whatever form it might take. This is what it means to be defeated. To be defeated means that we become like the world, and to remain strong means that we become like Christ. So we always ask ourselves, how do we look like the world? Do we, have we adopted all the principles of the world, or do we live according to the principles of Christ? Number six is we should not be divided. Um, in Matthew chapter 12, it says, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Again, what is the reason that the, that the devil might introduce divisions in our families, um, in our churches, um, among our friends and our workplaces? What is the reason that there might be all of these divisions? It is to weaken us. And once we are weakened, once we are separated from one another, once we are no longer united together, then the, the, the ground is ripe for, um, for, for an enemy to attack. That is when the house is in disorder. This is when the enemy will attack and they will find that we have nothing to protect ourselves with and they will defeat us. And this is the reason for divisions, whether it's divisions at the level of the church as a whole or internal divisions in myself or with my families. Um, when, when these things happen, it causes us to be weakened and then the enemy can come in at the right time with his temptations to destroy us. So when persecution comes, it actually should be a source of, of reunification, should be a source of unity where we feel like we all have a common enemy and we all support one another to defeat that enemy. So very quickly, we spoke about six different ways that we should react in the midst of persecution. First, we should not be surprised. Second, we should not be afraid or terrified. Three, we should not be distracted. Four, we should not doubt. Five, we should not be defeated. And six, we should not be divided. May God grant us the blessings of the glorious nativity for this coming year and help us to remember all of the sufferings that the Lord um, allowed for himself and accepted to himself for the sake of our salvation. And just as he suffered for our sake, for us to be saved, so also he calls us to be like him and to suffer with him. Because he said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So may God grant us to be vigilant and to have endurance in the midst of whatever persecutions we endure, whether it be personal persecutions and personal attacks of the enemy against us or at the level of the church as a whole. And glory be to God forever. Amen. <laughs>